Miss Morgan and the other Miss Morgan, Dave Hampton, Larry Hansen, Cheryl Bear Barnettson. Thank you to you, the live studio audience, Access Television, CITR, CJSF, CKBUX, CHUO. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Are you aware? Radio alternate Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. at CITR 101.9 FM. Profiling music and musicians take the root of positive action over apathy. You've been troubled, you've been broke, you've been hungry, no job, no money. The one you love has deserted you. That makes you blue. Got the blues? Just want to hear some blues? Tune in every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 5 for Code Blue. Right here on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver, www.citr.ca. Code Blue. how he feels about it. Blues ain't nothing but a man, good man feeling bad. No, how that's all that is. Conservation is the first and best resource option for BC. Do your part. Turn off the lights when you leave a room and unplug your cell phone charger when charging is complete. Visit bchydro.com to find out more ways you can make a difference. This message brought to you by BC Hydro Power Smart and CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, the Regional Assembly of Texts, the Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. Tune in to the Red Jam Slam Radio Festival in celebration of Aboriginal Week from June the 17th to June the 21st. The festival will be broadcast across Canada on seven different stations. Tune in to www.ckdu.ca or at 88.1 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. www.chuo.ca or at 89.1 FM in Ottawa, Ontario. www.ckuw.ca or at 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Manitoba. www.ckxu.ca or at 88.3 FM. FM in Lethbridge, Alberta. And in Vancouver, British Columbia, tune in to www.cjsf.ca or at 90.1 FM. www.coopradio.org or at 100.5 FM. And www.citr.ca or at 101.9 FM. This year, listen live from 1 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time from June the 17th to the 21st. Check out redjamslam.com. Mm-hmm.
Good evening. It is Wednesday, June 17th on CITR Radio 101.9 FM in Vancouver. And we're broadcasting to you live from unceded Musqueam Territory at UBC campus in beautiful Point Grey. Today on the program, Arlene Bowman, uh, uh, one of our newest um, arts reporters, interviewed Gennargi O'Sullivan, the coordinator for Red Jam Slam, which you've just been hearing um, broadcast on the station since 1 p.m. We also have Elizabeth Rohrbaugh, an arter, uh, sorry, uh, a writer and director out of New York City. She just um, produced a short film called Dylan, which deals with the transformation of a um, of a transgender man uh, also east feast vancouver is coming up it's a local arts initiative and we'll find out how you can get involved with that and christine our theater correspondent will be here at around um at around five forty-five to tell us about a new play called scratch as well as to recap some of the leo awards but first up arlene bowman joins us in studio uh hello arlene hello now this is uh, your your first. Is this your first arts report contribution so far? Yes, and it's a very great one. You interviewed um, Gennargi O'Sullivan of the of Red Jam Slam, right? And so Gennargi is the coordinator for the Red Jam Slam Festival, which is happening right now. She's also a campus and community radio veteran. Um, she founded Late Night Savages on CFRO Co-op Radio, as well as Nation to Nation on CJSF, and is currently producing When Spirit Whispers on CFRO. Um, and Red Jam Slam runs until June 21st, and we're broadcasting that every day on this channel from 1 till 5. And you you are part of the Red Jam Slam Festival this Saturday, I believe. Yeah, 3 p.m. we'll recite poetry, poems I wrote from 3 p.m. on 3.15. Excellent. And um, can you give us just a, a quick preview of this um, first uh, arts report contribution that you've done? Okay. Well, Gennargi created a video uh, from her experience in the residential school. And um, Jules Rios edited it, and but it was her idea, and so she worked with him on it. And so it will screen at the Gachet Gallery this Friday um, as part of another group, a few group of people, I mean, a few people, and mm-hmm. at from 7 to 10 p.m. It says, says so in the, the interview, too. So... So she'll be doing many things this week. All right. Well, we're very much looking forward to it. Uh, this is uh, your feature interview with Gennargi O'Sullivan, uh, recorded yesterday at Co-op Radio. And I'm Indigenous Dene, known as Navajo. Okay. Great. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Arlene Bowman. The interview with Gennargi. Okay. The, you have two events coming up this week, and... So, but first of all, I want to just want you to describe how what got you interested in radio programming and broadcasting, and the name of your co-op show and time, and how long have you been doing it? Okay. Okay. All right. So I've been doing radio for about twenty years since like nineteen eighty nine. I met my brother Raymond Williams when I was nineteen, and he was uh, something like twenty three years old. Raymond Williams was adopted uh, into a home in Burnaby while I was adopted out in Mission, B.C., which was just 65 miles apart, and we didn't meet each other until I was 19. 
Now, when I got started with my life, I was born, uh, but my mother, Thelma Williams, was unable to take care of me because she had been a survivor of residential school. So uh, she basically didn't even bother to try and care for me. She gave birth to me and she left me at the hospital in Alert Bay and then she called my uh, aunties a month or so later and said, go pick her up and take her to Kinkham Inlet. I went to Kinkham until I was four years old. And then from there, according to the ministry, my extended family had failed me and uh, the ministry decided to apprehend me. They took me to a foster home in Alert Bay where I stayed for a couple of years with an elderly couple who were actually Kwakwakiwak elders who had their language and their culture intact. They took care of me until the ministry came back into my life and said, well, you can't stay with the Alfreds anymore because they are only allowed to look after children until they're five because it's a receiving home. So then the ministry took me from this safe place and decided to place me in the residential school, St. Michael's Residential School. It was the same school that my own mother went to, Thelma Williams, but she stayed there for seven years. When she got out of the residential school, uh, she ended up on the streets in Vancouver. She ended up in a juvenile detention home. She had my brother Raymond Williams when she was in the juvie detention home, went to Burnaby Hospital, gave birth to him. He was older than me, right? She had to go straight back to the juvie detention home. So the ministry took Raymond and put him in a foster home. And that foster home later adopted him. So I met Raymond when I was 19 years old. And he uh, was interested in poetry. He was here at Co-op Radio. And I had a show called When Spirit Whispers, which is the show that I do now. He invited me to come to the station and work with him. I started off just doing public service announcements, introducing music and reading, reading news stories. But I was really shy back then, painfully shy. And it was actually radio that, that pulled me out of my shell. When I met Raymond, um, he was uh, really, really, really uh, encouraging and supportive of my ability to communicate as well as to write poetry. I was involved in theater a lot back then too as well, right? Yeah. So um, he was very instrumental in pulling me into radio. As I said earlier, it was, a, it was nepotism. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. What, what's the name of your show now and the time that it's, you show to write off? Okay, the name of the show that I currently do is called When Spirit Whispers. I produce it, I host it, I coordinate it. And I also recruit other First Nations people who are interested in helping uh, to produce these shows. And I think that it's really important to say that community and campus radio is good for the soul. You know, it is all volunteer, but it's a way of giving back to a community in ways that ordinarily they would not have the opportunity. For instance, do you ever hear First Nations musicians and artists on mainstream radio? No. No, never, right? And so I find radio, uh, community radio, very fulfilling in that I'm able to give back to a community in ways that make a difference from coast to coast, yeah. Okay. So I know that you've 
You've been an actor, painted yeah. canvases and made videos. Yeah. We just previewed one of the videos you made. And what's it called now? It's called uh, Demolishing Green. And it will show, it will at show the at the... Gashing, yeah. 88 the, East Cordova. And then we'll take it from there and submit it to other film festivals in hopes that we'll be able to screen it in different places. It's what, a 10-minute piece. What, what time? At 7 o'clock on June the 19th at 88 East Cordova. Okay. And then you're, the Red Jam Slam you're doing? Yeah. I also do a thing called the Red Jam Slam. It, it's a radio festival. I started doing the Red Jam Slams in 1993, 1994. My first one I did was at Lakina House, where we invited people like Wayne LaValle, Donald Lorne, and I think Vera Manuel was there. Really? And she was reading her poetry, Marianne Sundown, and all those people came out to play. And then after that, we held it at the Prohibition and the Nelson Place in 1995, which is an old Indian bar. We packed mm. that place solid. There was wow. only standing room available, and people were lined up all over the block to come to see the Red John Slam. And back then, it, it was their hope that we would go big, like the stadium, right, at the Coliseum <laughs> and this and that, right? And yeah. we never reached that far, uh, but now we've gone, like, coast to coast through the area. Air, the radio airwaves. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. So the Red Jumps on this year, Arlene, is really something else, right? There's three to four days of this? It's actually five days. Five days. Uh, and it goes from one to five. And not only that, it is so amazing. It's um, We go from one to five, five venues, five days, seven different stations are carrying the feet. CJSF, CITR, Co-op Radio in Vancouver, are going to be listening to the Red Jam Slam simultaneously for five days from 1 to 5, from June the 17th to the 21st of June, which is Aboriginal Day. We also go from there to CKUW. Uh, they'll be playing the archives after the Red Jam Slam, but Lethbridge, Ontario, uh, will, or Lethbridge, I mean, uh, will also be airing the content uh, at the same time and CHEO in Ottawa, CHEO, as well as CKDU in Halifax. And so, these all radio stations involved with the National Community and Campus Radio Associations. Yeah. So as um, Kelly was saying, that um, the uh, all of these stations that I mentioned are campus and community radio stations. That's good. Did you say that? They're all a part of the National Community Radio Association. I sat on the board at the National Community Radio Association, and it's uh, because of them that I was able to do uh, over 70 radio documentaries. I helped to, as an outreach coordinator, to produce 70 radio documentaries called Resonating Reconciliation. We hired 40 First Nations broadcasters from station to station to go out and collect stories on survivors as well as intergenerational survivors. I did that last year. Mm. And so this is the kind of work I do, and, and I believe in community and campus radio because they give us a voice where others won't. Around your neck, the eagle claw 
upon your head the buffalo horn. Today a great new chief is born. So raise them fast toward the sun. A heart now beats, a life's begun. It's 1821. Today a blackfoot soul is born. Crowfoot, crowfoot, why the tears? You've been a brave man for many years. Why the sadness? Why the sorrow? Maybe there'll be a better tomorrow. Your heart is set, your soul is cast You stand before the council fire You have the mind and the desire Of notions wise, you speak so well Then in brave deeds, you do excel And it's 1853 and you stand the chief of confederacy you are the leader you are the chief you stand against both the liar and thief they trade race whiskey steal your land and they're coming in swift like the wind blown sand they shoot the buffalo kill the game man Send their preachers into shame And it's 1864 And you think of peace And you think of war See a settler in more numbers He takes whatever he encounters You've seen the soon All battered, beaten Elizabeth Rohrbach is an oh, Emmy Award-winning director. Her latest short film, Dylan, um, brings, us the, brings audience members the personal journey of a transgender male. Propelling the story is the compelling monologue performed by Becca Blackwell that chronicles Dylan's transformation from early experiments into the trans world to his family's support and own self-love and acceptance. Um, Dylan uh, can be seen online at dylanmovie.com. And to talk about the film, writer uh, and director Elizabeth Rohrbach joins us in uh, over the phone. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. Um, so tell us a little bit about how the film came to be. Um, well, I originally wrote this um, in a writing class that I took uh several years ago, about 10 years ago, um, and it was a documentary theater writing workshop. And at that time, uh, we were tasked to do an interview with a friend of ours. And Dylan and I had been friends since we were 11 years old. Um, but I knew that he had just transitioned in recent years. And I thought that it could be a good subject for uh, the writing piece that I was putting together. 
Um, I, I wrote the interview with Dylan after doing a two-hour interview with him and really loved the piece but didn't know much what to do with it, so I put it away for a long time. And then about a year ago, I felt compelled to pull it back out and uh, try and make something out of it. Um, so that's really how the film came to be, um, and I did it very independently, uh, just really to sort of get it out of my system because I had been thinking about it for so long. What was that original interview like? The original interview was very honest. Um, it was very long. Um, we had a previous relationship. We've just been friends for, for such a long time, so there was that intimacy already in place. Um, and we really started from early childhood and just talked up into uh, a very recent time so that I could capture all of what he's been through, um, not just the time that he transitioned, but the time prior to that, and really what led him to that to that point in his life. You, um, so... You... Well, you've pared the film down to a, to a, well, the conversation down to an eight minute film, and and one of the things that's the most striking is just the the confidence and how comfortable Dylan is in his own skin in the film. Um, how how strict to the original uh, conversation did you keep the the dialogue of the monologue or the of the the monologue rather? Uh, the the original interview. Um... There's, there's actually not a single word in the film that was not spoken in that interview. So I think that that's really what makes that feel so real is that every hesitation, every breath, every um or uh or stutter, um, all of that was part of the interview and all of that was then transcribed and written into the script. So I really wanted to keep that authenticity. Um, so his confidence is real, but I think in taking a very long interview and turning it into an artful eight-minute-long piece, you're able to extract so many of those points that really resonate um, with an audience. And that's really what I wanted to do with the piece was create something that could be understood and felt by a wide range of people. The public conversation about transgender issues is changing, um, and and changing for the better, but I think there's still a long ways to go in terms of people understanding the, the trans experience. How, how much did you learn creating this film and, and, um, and thinking about it for, for about 10 years? Yeah, I definitely learned a lot about what it means to be transgender in that time um, and to go through that transitioning period. I would say that when I originally did this interview, we were in our early to mid-20s, um, and both the world was different and my understanding of that that uh, transition was very different. And I think that uh, more than anything, I've realized that being transgender is its own separate identity, I think specifically for Dylan in this case. Um and that was something that I didn't appreciate at the time of doing the interview. I think that I was interested in it, but I didn't really understand it until I made the film. Um, the, the film discusses that sort of 
uh, crossover between being male and female and what that really means and to have its own separate gender identity. And that's something that I understand much more now. I also think that that's something that the world has come to understand as well, that you don't need to be passing for another gender, but rather that you take on a new gender identity. Now, one of the things that that is written on the the Dylan movie website is um, Becca Blackwell, who is cast as Dylan in the film. Um, Becca stated to you during the casting process that if there's one thing a man could never understand, it's what it was like to want to be a man. Um, what what did that mean to you? Uh, that really resonated with me when I first spoke with Becca. It was the uh, on our our first telephone conversation we hadn't met yet, and I had um, seen some YouTube clips that Becca had done and was very impressed with them as a performer, but um, really wanted to talk about that experience and. I feel that uh, that statement really touched me because I did not know really who to look at for casting prior to that that conversation. Um, I didn't know if I would be able to find a performer who could so accurately represent Dylan, and I was so fortunate to find Becca in that they have had similar experiences. They're both from the Midwest and had similar sort of language that they understood and followed. Um, and I, I just felt that that statement was so true in that um, it, it would have made it much more difficult to cast a man in that role and have that man under, understand that experience. What did uh, now? What what's it like? Because you're taking um, a, a friend of yours, someone who you've known for a long time, and you're you're seeking someone out to play that role of someone who you know so well. What's that like? You know, this is my first time going through this process. I'm actually fascinated in the process of creating an artful piece about someone that is very real, um, creating an artful performance in that way. And I think that what I've learned from the process of casting Becca is that um, the, the more genuine you can make that casting, the better. Um, what actually struck me about Becca when I, I met them, as bizarre as it sounds or sort of um, insignificant as it may sound to other people, is that, Becca is a natural redhead, and so is Dylan. And for something, there was something about that. I'd always known Dylan to have this striking red hair growing up, and to meet Becca, and Becca also has this striking, vibrant red hair, just connecting me to this person in a in a physical, um, visual way immediately. And I did recognize the value in casting someone that could really very accurately represent the person that you're doing this type of film about. Has uh, I'm, has Dylan seen the film? Yeah, Dylan was at the premiere of the film, which was at the St. Louis Film Festival. And Dylan and I are both from St. Louis. We grew up um, in St. Louis. And uh, so we came to the festival together and saw it on the big screen for the first time. And it was really pretty amazing. Um, I know that he was nervous to see see it in that way, but I know that he's also very happy with the film. 
And and what did he think of, of the uh, the portrayal of seeing a version of himself on on the screen? Uh, I think the the main response from Dylan was that it was just very nice to see a film about a trans person that was so positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that that um, there are a lot of. Uh, films or trans pieces that can reflect some of those negative experiences that someone might go through during transition. And um, I really wanted to make this a positive viewing experience and allow the audience to see this as um, a happy time in someone's life, Um, you know, that you go through difficult moments, but that you're going to have a happy experience by going through the self-discovery and Dylan really felt overwhelmingly that seeing a, a positive portrayal of a trans story was a nice change. Well, I think that definitely comes through. I, the The feeling that kind of most stuck out for me watching the film was just how at ease and comfortable Dylan um, Dylan was with with his story and with uh, with where he was in the story. What uh, what message do you hope to share with with this film? Um, I hope that this film is a story that a lot of different people can relate to. I think that um, many people, or hopefully a great number of people, go through a, a time in their life where they need to evaluate their identity and look within themselves to uh, go through through a period of self-discovery. And I would hope that um, an audience watching this can relate to the film and look at that time in their lives and connect to it and um, connect to the trans community through that um, and understand the uh, necessity to go through a time like that. Um, And I hope that uh, trans audience and particularly um, a younger audience um, can see the positive effect that going through transitioning can be, um, that you can come out of the other side and live the life that you were meant to live. Um, so that's really what I hope people can get out of it. The film has been embraced by many queer and LGBT film festivals, um, including the Los Angeles, um, Boston, and Melbourne. What does it feel to have the support of those communities? I think it's wonderful. I'm I'm so honored to be showing it at these festivals. And um, when I made this film, I, I really didn't know what would come of it, if anyone would see it. And um, like I said, I felt that it was just something that I almost needed to get out of me mm-hmm. um, because I could envision the film for such a long time. And um, I felt that it was an important story to tell. So to know that people are embracing it um, just feels amazing to me to know that people are watching it um, and responding to it is really incredible. Amazing. Well, Elizabeth, thank you very much for, for telling us about, about your film, Dylan. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful to be on your show. So thank you. Uh, Dylan can be seen at um, DylanMovie.com and we're going to leave you with a uh, Canadian trans uh, musician Ray Spoon here's a song Sunday Dress
A show dedicated to playing psychedelic music from parts of the spectrum, rock, pop, electronic, as well as garage and noise rock. Sundays, 5 to 6 p.m. at CITR 101.9 FM. I don't know if I've ever told this story. In the late 80s and early 90s, a couple of well-known criminologists started making predictions about a wave of super predators. By the year 2005, we may very well have a bloodbath of teenage violence. There was a group of guys at the group home and they were like, you need a car for school. We can go steal this car. They drove uh, to a, uh, a dirt road. They um, put me in the trunk and I had tape over my eyes and I can't even describe the emotions when you actually, actually realize that somebody is trying to kill you. I got charged with attempted murder, conspiracy to commit murder, robbery, conspiracy to commit robbery, kidnapping, conspiracy to commit kidnapping. They were sending me to the adult system at 13 years old. And then they ask you these questions. So do you understand what you're losing? I wish I could go back in time as an adult and be like, are you kidding me? My lawyer just told me to answer yes to that question. Yes, your honor. Next Wednesday, listen to Super Predators Revisited. The first in a series brought to you by the University of Washington Center for Human Rights and Cited, a brand new podcast about the stakes of academic research. Cited airs each and every Wednesday on CITR at 11.30 a.m. Visit CitedPodcast.com and subscribe to Cited Podcast on iTunes to hear the whole series.
Tune in every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM, where we bring you the Community Living Show. A full hour is produced by the disabled community, showcasing for BC self-advocates, with lots of interesting and fun content, including some interviews from special guests with special needs. Join hosts Michael, Kelly, and friends every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Because you've got a friend in community living and CITR. East Feast Vancouver is a community meal in support of local arts initiatives held at the Britannia Community Centre on Commercial Drive. The East Feast is a micro-funding event that turns ticket sales into direct funding for an artist or artist group. You can support the project by buying a ticket for the event, and on June 28th, you'll uh, get to enjoy a vegetarian barbecue meal, um, entertainment, and a chance to vote on a project that you would like to support. Um, And joining us over the phone to tell us about her proposal, um, we have um, Michelle Beckett. Michelle, welcome to the Arts Report. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting. Well, thank you for joining us here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your proposal. My proposal is to bring Rainworks to Vancouver. And, and if you don't know what that is, Rainworks is, is an art project. Sorry. Not at all. Okay, so um, I want to bring Rainworks Vancouver to Vancouver. They already have it in Seattle, and it's very popular. And it's artwork that appears when it rains. And the way that it appears, if I understand, is it will protect certain parts of the sidewalk from getting wet, and so you'll kind of get negative uh, shapes. Is that right? Exactly. It repels water, so the part that's been sprayed would remain uh, a lighter color while the rest of the sidewalk will go dark, and that's how it appears. Very cool. And Rainworks is out of Seattle, Washington, and how, how did you hear about the project? You know, to be perfectly honest, I can't remember how um, I came upon it. Um, But once I did, I was hooked. I was like, we have to do this in Vancouver. Our sister city is doing really well with it. We have lots of rain as well. So I figured um, we we need to be the next city doing this. Really cool. Once you get an idea like that, it sort of sticks in your head. Oh, absolutely. Now, the East Feast is an event on um, on June 28th, and there are two projects up for up for grabs, and so you're or two projects that will be voted on for funding, and you're you're one of those two. Why should people vote for Rainworks who uh, who attend the event? Well, um, basically because because of quite a few things. Rainworks is, is will be positive messages and artwork, and everybody. I think everybody needs a little pick-me-up when it's raining. Um, so to, to stumble upon a positive message or a piece of artwork when it's raining, turning that frown upside down into a smile is very important to me, um, creating positivity, and it's, it's a great way to involve all ages. I'll be doing artwork that, is, is, that will reach out to any age and any person. Well, it's, uh, we get enough rain around here that anything to bring the frowns upside down is 
greatly appreciated. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, and do you know much about your competition? Who you'll be who you'll be uh, facing off against at the event? Yes. Um, so I am up against Carnival Band, which is a musical group that is quite well known around the drive. Um, Thirty plus members, and they have. Um, I think uh, over 800 fans on their Facebook page. So I'm up against something really big. Um, I'm just one individual, and so I'm really just trying to put out there the message, please come and vote for me make and and just help me out here a little bit <laughs> um i mean they're probably they're both great projects um i i'm unfortunately i'm just up against a, a big competitor this time with, with so many people um mm. and yeah. if you um if you're unsuccessful at the at the east feast do you have a plan to continue with a project I would like to continue with it. I'd like to look for a private benefactor or some other local funding or art grant. Definitely. I think it's a project that needs to be done. It just depends on basically who gets there first. Well, it it seems like a really good fit for the city. And how can people get involved to support the project? So um, to support the project initially, well, I have to be voted. So um, come to East East, buy your ticket, enjoy your meal, and vote for Rainworks. Um, and then uh, otherwise, basically, um, I don't know how else to support it. It's got to get off the ground first. So um, it'll definitely be a lot of fun, though, because I'm looking to have some competitions in the future and, and looking to you know spread it as wide as possible. So come out, support me, support the other competitor, whatever, but buy a ticket and come and support local artists. That's what's really important. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Michelle. And more information about East Feast Vancouver can be found at eastfeastvancouver.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for... Uh, it's very easy to buy a ticket right there as well. There's instructions. Perfect. And the event, Thank of you course, so is, much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you.
Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver and theater correspondent Christine Kim is back in studio. Hello. Welcome back. Uh, and you you have had a busy week. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to go see the production of Scratch presented by Theater Plexus and I also went to the Leo Awards as well. Um, so I guess I'll start off by just giving a brief review of Scratch. Perfect. Um, Scratch was directed by Genevieve Fleming. It's a play about a teenage girl named Anna who struggles with the difficulties of growing up in circumstances that are quite trying. Um, And what I mean by this is that Anna's mother is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, All the while, Anna also must deal with a raging case of head lice. Um, It's a very heartwarming story about how one can cope with grief and loss through the help of family and friends. So to give you a general sense of how the play proceeded, the set was very simple. There were three movable screens, each about the size of a door, um, and they were made of colorful wire mesh. So these pieces were moved into partitions of walls in a hospital and in a house and in a shop. Um, And I thought that they added to the theme of chaos just because um, the sheer craziness of how the wire mesh was put together um, was um, very striking. Um, The play... It started off with each of the characters standing before the audience and explaining to them how they were going to tell this story of Scratch if it was their story and it wasn't Anna who was telling it. Um, So this introduction gave the audience a good sense of the personality of each character right off the bat before anything really happens. Um, After this introduction, Anna begins to tell you her story, and you quickly realize that the conversation in this play is very fast-paced. It really reminded me of how Gilmore Girls, the TV show, is presented. Um, There's these kind of little pauses between speakers are almost non-existent, and while for me, I felt like this play while this kind of fast-paced talking made the play feel more staged, um, it really did add, again, to the atmosphere of hecticness and um, chaos. The momentum of the play kind of built upon itself with that sort of rapid-fire dialogue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the other things that I uh, definitely appreciated about the play was how juxtaposing emotions were frequently presented In one of the scenes, Anna's aunt takes Anna to the Gap to buy her new jeans. And Anna, obviously, um, she's dealing with her mother slowly dying. Um, She has an outburst, just um, shouting at the top of her lungs the fact that her mom is... um, has cancer and is dying and her and the aunt um quickly smothers those kind of comments with what kind of gene do you want 
should I get you a new size? And all these kind of irrelevant, um, tries to dance around the topic with all these irrelevant questions. And these kind of scenes of like high emotion, but also um, kind of trivial topics were frequently um, presented. And um, they added definitely to um, the overall theme of the play. So the story itself is sectioned off into what you could describe as chapters. And each chapter has a title that is said by passing by one of the characters. And this added, again, the sense that I was watching what was playing out before me um, kind of as if I was reading a novel. And it was when Anna begins to be attracted and vie for the attention of um, somebody of the opposite sex, as you know, a female teenager um, often does, that it reminded me of a John Green novel. I don't know if any of you listeners know the author John Green, but he's a famous um, young adult fiction writer. I knew the Gilmore Girls reference, but not John Green. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of um, young teenagers will know John Green and um, the kind of emotional roller coaster that this play takes you on, but also the very heartwarming, I guess, message throughout it of family and friends and that kind of support um, definitely gave me that vibe of a John Green novel um, and added with it again the sectioning off into chapters uh, for the entirety of the play. So uh, the play ends off with Anna kind of finally breaking down in a flood of tears as she enters the hospital where she's been told that her mother has finally passed away. Um, Up until that point, Anna has been hasn't really been coming to full terms with the fact that her mother would die very soon. And it's in in this final scene that she sobs and she kind of clings to her best friend, um, Genevieve. Um, So it's quite an emotional play, um, but it definitely speaks to those audience members who have ever gone through dealing with a close relative or friend diagnosed with a serious illness. Um, So that was the play. Um, now you mentioned that it like it reminded you of a couple different other things, and it is an emotional play, but also kind of juxtaposing. Was it was it humorous too? Was it funny? Was it a roller coaster ride? Uh, it was definitely. F- it had a lot of um, comedic aspects, especially with um, the idea that she has life, because that was along with the current of you know the main theme that her mother is dying. Mm -hmm. She's dealing with um, being ostracized by um, school faculty because she has a head of life. Um, She needs to pick them out um, in very specific ways. And her best friend's also trying to help her get rid of this lice. And I think that was what made um, the... um, that, that was what made the audience laugh the most whenever she had to switch from dealing with the very serious topic of her mother dying to the not so serious of I have bugs on my head that I need to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that tension with the family drama can sometimes make it's easier to pull out small comedy moments, I guess, when there is that dramatic tension in the play. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that I went to go see this weekend actually was the Leo Awards, and the Leo Awards are uh, film and um, TV and 
feature length films as well as short films um, by BC actors, directors, and producers. Um, so I was at the red carpet event and I got to speak with um, many of the nominees who were awarded uh, either for best screenwriting or best female lead character, you name it. Um, people were there. Um, and I think the comment that I got the most as I was interviewing all the nominees was that um, coming to the Leo Awards felt for them like um, coming to a big family dinner because of how well-knit the VC film um, industry is. And I definitely could get that sense as I was interviewing people um, People would be saying hi to um, several other people in the room. I don't think there was anybody really there who didn't have um, a large group of friends to catch up with. So I guess the the Leos would be the local small-scale version of, of the Oscars or something, but with a more community dinner family feel to it. Yeah, definitely a lot smaller scale, but the I would say that speaking with them about the films that they're making and the um, obviously like the smaller budget that they have to work with as a smaller film industry, um, you're right. I think the the tightness of the community <laughs> um, that exists is very valuable and um, something that is worth. Um, considering <laughs> yeah and exciting to be on the red carpet too what was what was that like um I've never ever done anything like that before and so um it was definitely a thrill for me I loved seeing how dressed up people were at the event as was I but um it wasn't as quite as quite to the extent where I needed to ask you know who made your dress right, tonight yeah. but <laughs> it was still very very um it was still a very um, posh event, I want to say. Um, while, while the subject matter that these actors and these directors were talking about, such as Aboriginal issues, um, issues of um, gender identity, were so real. Um, so I liked to see that, um, you know, with a lot of decadence and a lot of um, luxury, there can still be um, genuine, real um, people who care about real issues. Really cool. And so we've got your full clip of the Leo Awards on the red carpet. That is going to go up on our Facebook page right after the show, and we'll have a link to that. Um, so that's CITR Arts Report on Facebook. Um, and uh, maybe we'll play just a couple of minutes um, of that now, or should we leave it for our website? Well, let's play a couple of minutes, I guess. And um, and then we'll just come back with our um, events calendar um, in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, my name is Christine. I'm from CITR Radio. Hi, Christine. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Um, yeah. Could you start off with just your name, title, and sure. the name of your nomination? Sure. Uh, I'm Sarah Deacons, and the title of the film is Grease, and I'm nominated for Best Actress in a Short Drama. How does it feel to be at the Leo Awards today? It's very gratifying. We worked really hard on the film. It's uh, the second time I've been nominated, both for things I've written for myself, which I'm really proud of. Um, I think it's really important to encourage younger women to start writing. There aren't going to be enough roles for us if we don't take that on ourselves. So I, I hope that this kind of attention and this kind of thing brings encouragement to more younger women to, to be telling their stories. I don't think we can rely on men to tell our stories anymore. And, and it's not anything against men. I adore men. 
Have you found it difficult as a woman to uh, make it in the BC film industry? Not difficult. I mean, I think it's the, the regular difficulties that there aren't as many parts as there are actors and the types of parts, um, that kind of thing. I, I mean, I always I started writing because I wanted more interesting things to play, you know, and uh, and now I write with people in mind as well. That I, lots of I know mean, amazing actors, and there's just not enough good roles for them. And it's getting better, you know, little by little. And the only thing you can do is just keep making good films and keep writing and keep directing and keep producing and keep encouraging young women to do the same. And that's my big thing right now is just encourage the younger girls coming up. You know, I want to know what young women want to talk about these days, and the older women too. Hi, uh, nice to meet you. I'm Christine from I'm CITR Radio. Nice to meet you. Great to meet you. Um, could you just start off with your title, what you were nominated for, sure. maybe a small summary of your nomination? Absolutely. My name is Zach Lepofsky. I'm the producer of a film called Afflicted, which was a small Vancouver movie that we made. It's kind of a found footage horror film that did really, really well. And we got distribution all around the world with CBS and Sony. And it's certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And <laughs> it was um, really, really kind of broke the genre in a way. Because found footage films often are kind of very derivative and kind of, you know, very similar. And this one really reinvented it and really did something really special where the directors actually play themselves as filmmakers making the movie that you're seeing. And so it was directed in Vancouver here. Yeah, it was both um, took place in Vancouver as well as all through Europe. So we took a crew of about 10 people and just backpacked through Europe with 5Ds shooting the whole film against the scale of Europe. And does it surprise you how much publicity and success? Um, is this your uh, second, third film? Well, I'm usually a director, but in this case, um, some of my closest friends were directing the film, and so I came on as a producer with my other uh, good friend, Chris Ferguson, to help uh, get the movie launched. And uh, it was just so much fun to make a film with the friends I grew up with making movies with to make something that got seen by the whole world. Hi there. Hello, welcome back to the Arts Report. That was just a little taste of Christine um, at the Leo Awards, and the rest of that will be put up on our website after the show. Now, tonight, uh, we just want to tell you about a few things happening around town. At 7 p.m. at Western Front, um, artist-in-residence Tyler Colburn reads from his book, um, I'm That Angel. I'm That Angel is a cycle of writing and performance that explores how we work on and against the computer. Um, also tonight, Vancouver film scholar, film history teacher, and critic hosts Real Jazz, a compilation of great and forgotten jazz performances on the big screen. That's at Van City Theatre tonight at 6.30. You've got about half an hour if you want to make it. Um, more information is online at uh, Vancouver International Film Festival, so or vif.org. Um, and also tonight,